This is part two of John Christie's episode of I Went Down to the River. Let's take a pause for this week's Ask Coach segment. If you'd like to be a part of the Ask Coach segment, visit the I Went Down to the River Instagram account, and there you can submit your questions. This week's question comes from John Christie. John wants to know, how many times would you guess the team skipped watching film after the game, regardless of the win or the loss? Well, uh, you know, watching the game, watching the game film after the game, uh, the, the following practice was always uh, an intricate part of evaluating what we had done and what we need to work on and what we want to get back to the following week to get ourselves more prepared for the game that's coming up after that. So we would uh, we would watch film and, and kind of break it down. And I would say with that, you know, that uh, there was sheets of paper that they had to do. They had to, they had to fill out some stuff as we were watching the film, and uh, the players would uh, do some evaluation and uh, things that they, they would always put down, something that they wanted to work on because we wanted them to identify what do we need to get better so that next week we have taken that step to get better. And so we always had them write down uh, some things after we watched the film. But uh, not too often did we not. Did we skip that? There was time in, uh, oh, thinking about back in 1987 when we had a, uh, a bad experience down at WRA and uh, the, the officials uh, – Really, uh, it was a it was a, a mess up on 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 everybody's part there. But uh, we just didn't want to we didn't want to look at that film, and we didn't. Uh, we just uh, the next week was obviously U.S., which was kind of an important game for us always, and so we we skipped watching film. But most of the time, it was an important part of tooling uh, that we used to to just get better as a football player and as a football team. And now back to the interview. Anything else that you wanted to talk about from uh, the finish of that senior 1988 year for you? No, oh, so my se- so, yeah, so, so senior year, um, you, you know, I, I, I've mentioned some guys uh, that I played with my year, but we also had, you know, as much as I would have liked to have won more games as a senior, um, there's that moment of um, it's it's a whole different experience. We had two quality, big quality in terms of depth, but also talent classes ahead of us. Um, most of our offense and defense reps were on the JV field or in the second half of blowouts um, for most of us. Greg Kickle came back as the quarterback, so he had, he had played the whole year. Uh, but, you know, all of our backs had been backups. Uh, Lenny Spacek had played a little bit of fullback to, to give David Henkel a, a breather, but that was about it. You know, our receivers, Arvin Jow and Omar Dar had not played any meaningful receiving time and you weren't throwing the ball when you were up by 30 points when, when they were coming in the game, you know, John Carrick, again, a gutty hardworking guy. And then Chris Porter played the other side. Everybody knew as juniors, they were pretty good athletes, but you know, you're not going to say, you know what, OJ, we're going to take a handful of carries away from you. Hey, Mark, sorry, you're going to get even less carries because we want to get these two guys. So we really were, were untested. And then, you know, the offensive line, um, I may have had the most experience of our offensive line coming into our senior year, which is an absolute joke because I had almost no meaningful playing time. But uh, our, our tackles were uh, it, were my classmates, my graduating classmates, Pete Keekley and Chris Washington. Chris was this very big guy, heavy, heavy kid. Um, and Pete, thick guy, but not as big. And then by the time we started, uh, we had center was that rotating position, a classmate of mine who should have been the center all year and actually had more playing time as a junior, uh, dislocated his shoulder, Dave Shooter, super guy, really super guy, stand up beyond belief, worked hard just to 
show up, you know, was that kid who wanted to get one more snap, you know, coach play me at receiver and run the ball the other way. Just, I'd like to be on the field one more time because he had such terrible problems with his shoulders, but he was out. And then uh kid a year behind me, uh, he got hurt. And then, uh, so it was the third string guy, um, uh, Ian Osborne, who was, I, I want to say, a, a sophomore when we were all seniors. And then the other guard was uh, Josh Frankel, who was a year behind me. So, I mean, literally, Greg, the quarterback, was the only one who had started on offense. And then on defense, um, you know, Lenny Spacek was, was the leader, uh, even though he was only a junior. I don't know if Len was the first junior captain in your dad's tenure. Uh, but you know, when we went and uh, voted captains, there was no doubt that space was going to be one of them. Um, and, but we, so we had, we had Lenny on D uh, leading the pack. I played a little linebacker, a kid named Dean Pasalis, my class played some linebacker. Um and we had a you know a couple sophomores played on the, the the defensive line just because we were we were trying things out. We were replacing so many good guys, um, and we had injuries. We lost a game we should have won at Rocky River, and I yeah. think we suffered. We, we suffered from uh, I don't know if hangover is the right word, but too many of us thought because we were hawking and because we had only lost one game, you know, coming in as seniors, we had lost one regular season game. And that was that one with the questionable officiating. You know, I, I was, uh, what, uh, tw- 22 and three coming into my senior year. Um, felt like we should have won that game. Week two, we were back at our place. Uh, we played an independence team that was a good team. They were a state final four team that year, and we beat them. It was the healthiest we had been. Uh, Spacek broke his foot in the game. Uh, I found right. out two days later that I played the game with appendicitis. Um, and, uh, you know, I already talked about poor Dave Shooter and his, his bad wing. Um, but we beat them. We beat them. Uh, I, I remember getting uh, getting hit by a guy when we were trying to just run out the clock at the end. Uh, and Davis pulled me out and put a bigger kid in for me at guard. Uh, maybe um, because I jumped instead of the guy on the other side, but they called the penalty on the other guy. So who knows? Um, and that was you know, one of the highlights of that year, uh, just because it was that game where you knew, boy, if we were all healthy and we were all doing stuff, we could, we could play well. And we did again, even losing space for toward the end of the game. Uh, and then that impacted stuff going through because a lot of dominoes, a lot of dominoes start falling. I mean, pull from one to, uh, to try to help another. Yeah. And so you're creating two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you had, you had Spacek who was an all state linebacker and now he's, he's done. Uh, I don't think that me being out, <laughs> it's a joke to even bring it up in the next sentence. I, I, Dean and I would have played linebacker except I had appendicitis. So now you're losing the starter and his backup. And we pulled Chris Porter in to play linebacker and a kid named Demond Moody went over a corner. And DeMond ended up having a very nice career year, his senior year the next year, but he was not ready yet. And again, going to the natural progression and the depth we had the years before us, if DeMond had gotten to learn like Chris Porter had from the other guys, and I eventually he did, uh, but he got thrown in early. And, um, you know, it took me, um, I, I missed two games. First game, it was, the the first week of practice that I missed, well, I so I had my appendix out on a Monday night. Uh, the Browns beat the Indianapolis Colts with Eric Dickerson uh, at running back on Monday night, and the guy who did my surgery was at the game, and then came back to the hospital and, and did my surgery. And 
you know, not having to do conditioning and all that other stuff that week sounded pretty cool. And then walking on the sideline um, during a game that you're not getting into, it was no longer very cool. Um, missed the next week, but the doctor cleared me to play after that. I remember going to the doctor's office um, and meeting with him and him clearing me to play. And the doctor being far smarter than me, he said, do you need a note or a letter or something? And I go, no, no, I'll just tell him we're, we're okay. And I drove from Solon back to the high school because I was so excited to be able to come back. Uh, and uh, your dad and uh, Gary are in his office watching film. And this is probably an hour or so after uh, practice, and that might be conservative. And I come like practically running down the hall. I'm all jazzed up and i go yep doctor says i can play next week and both of them look at me like you can't play next week and i go no again and, and i probably your dad goes well, do you have a letter from the doctor and i'm like uh no but i can get one and they're like does he know what football is like are you sure about this and um the only uh caveat i had was i had to i sewed a knee pad into my girdle over the incision um and so the the next game back my first game back was um at warrensville heights and i grew up and my parents still live there uh that might be the closest stadium to my parents house either that or shaker is but it, but i think warrensville i think their field's a little bit closer to my folks house and um a kid in my class who came out just as a junior and senior had replaced me at guard. He got a concussion the week before. So um, despite mocking my uh, doctor and myself, your, your dad and Moses had to concede that I got, that I had to play. Um, so I got to, I got my starting guard spot back um, in that game. And I was, they were still real limited. They, they didn't want to put me on defense uh, I was the middle linebacker on goal line defense, I remember, because we had two goal line stands, one where we kept them out four plays from inside the five, and then one where we kept them out three plays, but not the fourth uh, from inside the five. On the first one, um, the, the, I don't remember if it was the, the next play or the very next, you know, in, in that next series, we were in a trap, and David Kendra, who was a junior, took over for Spacek at fullback and uh, I was the pulling guard. I hit the guy and Kendra went 90 some yards and got pulled down inside the five yard line uh, on the other side. Uh, we did eventually score if memory serves. Um, then it was a back and forth game. We kicked off one. Chris Porter was also our kicker. Chris didn't leave the field. He and John Carrick, I don't think were off the field ever. They, they both started in the defensive backfield, except when they pulled Chris in to play linebacker. Um, they were the two slots. Chris punted, kicked, and returned kicks. John maybe got off for kick return or something, maybe. Uh, not 100% positive, but like literally those two never left the field. So after one of our scores, Porter kicks off and kicks this knuckle ball that hits the guy right in front of me and bounces back and of course you know my parents are there and i'm sure they're not super cool with me being on the field i know your dad and moses were worried about me being on the field and this ball comes bouncing back i dive on it and then like the full scrum of everybody else on top so i recovered what turned out to be an onside kick with 10 guys jumping on me with my two-week-old incision um we, uh, DeMond had a, had a tough game at defensive back and you were talking about the domino. So they moved, they finally moved Chris Porter back to corner and let me play linebacker for most of the second half because we were trying to, uh, to prevent the, the, the game getting out of hand, uh, and keep us in the game. Uh, again, little subtle things, coaching staff wise, uh, Merle Davis, and, and your dad, and again, I don't know what they discussed, but they were blitzing like crazy and we were having trouble with them. 
uh, the, the, the reason that trap went so well was it was a quick hitter and you beat the blitzers and then it was just a foot race. So, you know, we called a bunch of screen passes in a row. Davis told us, don't block it like a screen, block as long as you can. And he goes, no more splits between you and the center. The center's getting killed. You know, told me and Josh Frankel, no splits, you know, because they were beaten between us. Sure. Well, like Jim List did two years earlier in practice to me. And just a little subtle thing where we were able to make an adjustment and move the ball and score. And, uh, and won, so won my first game back. Um, and then I, I ended my high school career playing at the field that Jack Lambert uh, called home in high school. Crestwood, which, right? Yeah, Manaway Crestwood. It would have been nicer to have come away with a win. We did battle back and make it close, but uh, that wrapped it up. And, um, you know, for like Arvin and John and Ari and myself, for five years, the four of us had suited up every fall together for pretty much every game. And uh, that was the last one. Um, so does that when, hit immediately or does it take a little bit of time for that to sort of connect and have those feelings of this is the end of that chapter? Uh, it, it hit. Uh, I knew I was done at Hawk and uh, I intended to, and did, did play a year in college. Um, but part of why you, you don't realize how special stuff is again, you're young, you're immature. You don't have the life experience. Um, and, and, you know, I clearly had no self-awareness cause I thought and did play in college and probably had no business even playing in high school. But, um, you know, I, in my head knew I was going to keep playing. So I didn't think it was my last game. Um, but yeah, it was, um, you know, it was sad. It was sad to be done. Um, but, you know, not, not putting on a helmet anymore, not putting on that helmet anymore. And you didn't, I certainly didn't appreciate the quality, not only of coaching, but of individuals who we were surrounded with. And, you know, it's one of those things that you try to impart as, you know, a, a full year later when you're back on the staff, you try to impart with people so they, they do appreciate. Because I, you know, I graduated, uh, went off to a place outside of Chicago called Lake Forest College and played up there. And, um, you know, by the end of the season, I was, I was starting at outside linebacker there, more due to injuries than, than talent. Um, and there were times where, you know, it was a different coaching philosophy. It was college, but it was mediocre division three college. Um, there were different expectations and stuff in terms of how we behaved off the field as well as on the field, uh, in terms of the quality of coaching, both the, both the human beings, as well as the instruction. And um, I mean, there were times during my freshman year of college where it was like, I, you know, why am I doing this? I don't want to go to practice. And again, you went back to some of the little quotes and some of the little things that you were taught and, you know, you're out here and your, your job is to get better and your job is to push through and you're not going to always be 10 and out and you're not going to always win. And sometimes that yellow flag is going to come out whether it should or shouldn't at, at times and, and how do you react to it? And I, I made it through that season. Um, and I'm, I'm glad I had the opportunity. I mean, I'd love to go play another season somewhere. I don't think I could last to the second quarter, much less the second half of the season, but um, I, I missed playing something awful. And um, for a lot of reasons, ended up back in Cleveland um, Chris Fusco, who was admissions guy at Hawking for a while, also taught at the lower school. Um, really, between Chris and I'm not, I think it was mostly Chris was doing, uh, they recruited me to coach wrestling at the, at the junior high school. And then Chris said, I definitely want you on my baseball staff. And so I did that. Um, so my sophomore year of college was my first year since fifth grade that I wasn't playing tackle football. And, uh, you know, I, 
I always was very fond of, of Dave Code. And the opportunity to coach with him was just, I mean, you know, fantastic. I, I Dave passed away. It was, it's one of the hardest things that I attended. Just such a good guy. I don't know anybody who's got anything bad to say about the man. Uh, just a, a tremendous role model, enthusiasm, a good teacher, everything. I played basketball in eighth grade because Dave Code was the basketball coach. I'm a terrible basketball player. Uh, but a season with him or a season with somebody who I can't even remember um, who the junior high wrestling coach was before before I got down there. It, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. It was before here. There's something no. else. Down. I want to jump in and tell uh, tell a good uh, coach code story as well. So yeah, as but- as my middle school coach, you know, great guy. But like you said, even Keel kind of always just super, super nice, super knowledgeable, all that good stuff. Well, there's this one practice where obviously things aren't going well, whatever happens. Uh, he slams the clipboard down and the thing just shatters like all over the field. And so fast forward, however many years, it could be 15, it could be 18. And we're having our um, alumni golf outing and I'm in a group with my dad and Gary Moses, and we're in need of a fourth member. And the person who's putting the foursomes together puts Dave Code in our group. And so Dave and I are... I think it was me. Was it you? Okay. So we're (laughs) we're riding around in the golf cart. And I remember asking him this story and being like, hey, do you remember this time when like, we either just, we weren't practicing with great effort or we were maybe goofing off or something and you threw a clipboard down and broke it like we were just like amazed and immediately just like alerted like whoa this is real and he kind of pauses and kind of chuckles and he goes danny i did that almost once a year he's like i've got if i got some advice for you as a coach it's this you got to break one clipboard a season to get everyone's attention (laughs) i love it (laughs) All right. Well, so I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell one of my wife's stories. So um, she tells a story when she was in the, uh, she was in ad hoc and lower school in gym class and um, the kid didn't listen. And like, I want to say like slammed his fingers in a door somehow. I don't, I, I could go upstairs and grab my wife and she could tell better. She, she goes, it's the only time I've ever seen a mad and he threw this clipboard across the room and it blew up. So as you were telling the story, I don't know like, how many clipboards he had. And, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, I swear that's Kelly's story, but Dan's telling the same no. story. Nope. Yeah. He told me that in that golf cart. And that's, uh, yeah. that's one of my favorite stories of him. Um, and, and, uh, and I'm pretty sure that, uh, that golf outing was about the only time that, uh, his, uh, golf clubs came out i don't believe he had a full set um and he probably uh is was 10 times better golfer on my best day despite all that right Um, yeah he enjoyed being at those golf outings man just being able to be around the program and to talk uh talk stories and it, uh, that was that was a special opportunity i remember a couple summers in a row of being in his foursome it, it, it was always fun. Uh, the golf outing was always great, but it was also always fun on those days that you'd look over to the sideline in a game that was going well and you were playing well. And there Dave would be in that same red hat with that same windbreaker and his umbrella standing there smiling. And when he, when he, when he caught you looking at him, that smile would get bigger. And it was like, this is like, you know, again, that was my that was my first introduce, introduction, really, even to Hawking, uh was him. And, uh, you know, so I come back. There were three of us on the staff um, and he was so generous with everything. I mean, here I was this dumb kid who had play, just played a year ago. I didn't understand schemes or stuff on any you know, calling an entire defense. I understood how to signal plays in because I had called the defenses as a senior, uh, you know, in high school. And I understood the basic stuff, but 
I had no recollection or idea of what a junior high school team looked like and did. And, you know, I remember sort of putting together my stuff and talking to him about it. And he, he gave me so much room to do stuff and it was okay. Who are our best athletes and what do they look like physically? And what can I do with this guy here? And what schemes can I do with? And I mean, you know, you know, the names of all those guys, but I, 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 I think I've got the years right. Yeah. Cause it was only at the lower school for that one year. I mean, I had Josh Harold who went and played professional hockey. Uh, you were going to play that kid at linebacker because he was, a t- he was a tough hockey player who could play a little football. Yes, he was. You know, Jason Lieberman, uh, excellent baseball player. And again, a good kid, good athlete. I think uh, I, I had uh, Blake Kleinman was one of the linebackers and only because I'm not very smart. Uh, a kid named Jamie Lip, and I know you know Jamie. Jamie was the fourth linebacker because I wasn't smart enough to say, "Hey, Larry Wilson's a heck of an athlete. He should be linebacker, not end." Because uh, because Larry is the quintessential athlete, big, tall, strong, lean guy uh, at the high school level. But at the junior high, he should have been playing in the middle and just let him run everybody down. We would have been better that year. Uh, but you know nobody really plays a five, four, except in junior high school, we played a five, four and pretty much blitzed a lot because it seemed like a good idea to me at the time. And Dave was great about it. And, you know, then we'd talk about, Hey, we got to make sure we get some of these other kids in. And it was also, you know, I've had the, the opportunity to coach for Dave and then coach for your dad. And then, coach my kids in in other sports and the ability to learn the difference of different personality of kids, different age of kids, different talent level of kids, but also the different meaning of what's going on, you know, in seventh and eighth grade and Dave code understood this, you are developing people, but also basic skills and winning is important because I think you need to learn how to win. But developing is more important at the junior high level. At the high school level, freshman and JV, it's still there. But by the time you get to varsity, you're no longer at that spot where everybody gets to, they may not get to play equally, but not everybody gets to play at varsity anymore. You know, in JV, everybody gets to play because if you're there, we got to see what you are, what you can do. And you're not going to look the same in ninth and 10th grade as you do in 11th and 12th grade. So we got to teach you. We got to teach you the skills and we got to keep you interested. I used to joke when I, when I coached my daughter's softball team and I said, here's my goals. They learn a little something, they have fun and they come back next year. Cause I started the first time I, I coached anything other than boys. It was a bunch of second grade girls and that was not my element. Uh, and so when I started doing that and it was from, it sounds funny to say, but you know, you learned that from Dave code and you learned that from your dad, that you've got to keep the kids invested and interested because you can't teach everything in, in a couple of weeks. And, and you're also teaching stuff about more than be it softball, be it wrestling, be it baseball, be it football about more than that. So, you know, that, that year with Dave was fantastic. Um, I abandoned you the next year because uh, my intensity was still at a level that I found it very difficult um, with some of the kids who were on the team because they had to be on the team as opposed to because they wanted to and moved up, up to the high school, um, which, again, as a freshman coach, I had the defense. Uh, I, you know, I used Gary Moses defense because we we're teaching guys for the varsity and tried to, you know, scheme people and put people in spots that made sense for them. Um, and, uh, again, had tremendous freedom and also had the opportunity to come up at the end of the practices and join the varsity, uh, and, and coach a defensive position group on the varsity. Uh, you know, Gary, as you know, just such a generous guy with everything. I mean, generous guy sums it up, but his time, his knowledge, his, his everything uh, that you could sit down and go through stuff. And we would go through 
you know, I was on the phones with him and we'd go through game plan and we'd go through why he was thinking this stuff and why, you know, me wanting to blitz guys when they're inside their 20 is different than blitzing him wanting to blitz guys when we're inside our own 20. And, you know, the philosophical stuff that is a, is a young uneducated guy you didn't get. And that first year of just getting a little, and then the second year being full-time up on the varsity um, sort of tag teamed with your dad on one side of the ball, uh, which was great because I got to work with, with your father directly in a way uh, and then still work with Gary on, on game days and on defense. And I think, you know, shortly thereafter, they sort of handed off special teams to me. Um, and it's probably somewhere in a box somewhere here. And your dad's probably got another 500 of them. I've got a little card as to which direction you should let a right-footed punter punt because he's more likely or less likely to shank here and there. And just like little subtle teaching things with stuff. You know, the first couple of years that I did the special teams, it was, this is the way we want it done. And this is the program. And then later on, it was, uh, you want to try a different block. You want to try a different, this, you want to put other stuff in and the generosity to, to let me do that and learn as I went. And then to, to put up with, um, I mean, uh, I, I, I've got a certain intensity about me. I think anybody listening to this who knows me is going to have a similar reaction to you. Uh, Ryan Clark, who I, I know, you know, Ryan, um, was new to Hawkin, uh, I believe as a sophomore, because I think freshmen were still practicing separate. Maybe he played freshman, but he was new to me as a sophomore. He would have been, he was the year after me and my freshman year was the last freshman squad for a chunk of time. We did not have a consistent okay. freshman class, um, following so, our freshman yeah. year. So he would have been a part of the varsity as a freshman with getting the reserve game. Okay. So, um, you know, I don't know that I necessarily knew exactly who he was, um, but his mom is shopping at the gap at the Menor mall that my sister-in-law happened to be working at at the time. And she's buying, you know, him fresh, fresh pants for the school year and they get to talking and um, my sister-in-law asks him, Oh, you know, where's your son go to school? Oh, he's in, he's in Hawk. And, uh, you know, I went talking, my, my brother-in-law or maybe just, me, I don't know if we were even married at the time, Kelly and I, um, uh, coaches there. Oh, what's it coaches football. And, you know, again, the staff at the time was Merle Davis, a teacher on, on faculty, your dad, a teacher on faculty, me and Gary. So everybody knew Merle and knew your dad because they were on the faculty, but Gary and I were sort of a little bit more phantom figures, if you will. Um, and, uh, so, uh, Marsha Clark, one of the best names of a kid's mother after the OG trial, um, is talking to my sister-in-law and she says, oh, which one is your uh, brother-in-law? Is he the big guy or the crazy one? Well, as you know, and as most people watching this know, Gary's about 6'4", so nobody's going to confuse me with being the big one. Uh, so, crazy again, one. the... Yeah, the that intensity uh, came out some some days better than others. I have uh, only gotten called once, but I've been close. And I think the one I got called for was really Ken McClintock's fault. But uh, I've certainly been admonished by officials. Uh, and what I think your dad has done a great job of is he lets people be who they are and molds them around that. Um, I had a mentor in the practice of law who said something to me about, you got to be who you, you be. I, I do jury trials and, you know, juries have a good BS meter. And if you're not authentic, I think it's very hard to stand in front of a jury and tell them what you think the facts of the case are. I think if you're not authentic, it's very hard to stand in front of a football team and tell them what they should do. And having gotten to learn that lesson when I was still in school, 
and then translated it into my my professional life, uh, you know, is a, is a testament to that stuff. You know, same thing with 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 Gary. Um, I tend to back then, especially early on, uh, but even today, use more colorful adjectives than certainly your father and probably Gary. And I used to tell people, well, you know, Gary's mad when he starts talking about too many crickets. You know, you know, you've done something wrong. Uh, and it's it, that uh, I, as an adult, your dad treated me with respect and with an adult and uh, never once chastised me for being more colorful than was appropriate. Um, and uh, I think I, over the years, did a slightly better job with that. But again, it was that was how I mean, I was fired up and I was I was going to come in there. And I, you know, and we've all seen the, the coaches who sprint down the field in front of their guys and the guys who sprint down the field with their guys and the, the coaches are screamers and yellers and the ones that are a little more um, intellectually. And you've got to find that who you are and how it works for you. And I think if you're authentic about it, it, it works. And I, I learned that, you know, Gary gets fired up and boy, when he gets fired up, you take notice, but he also typically just gets his point across in a really good way to do it. Your dad, it's very methodical and business-like in terms of how you do it. But there's a fire there. And I mean, you, you know, I came off that field against Brooklyn, man, and that jaw was locked. And I'm not sure his teeth moved, but I heard what he was saying. And I knew I screwed up and I knew that that was the last one I was going to get. And by the way, I think that's the last varsity penalty I took was in that game. You know, and I played a full season after that. You know, you knew the intensity was there, um, but it came out different ways. And I think. You know, the, the staff in my tenure, both as a player and then as a coach, complemented it very well, the, the, the pieces and the personality. You can't have, as much as I am the run around with my hair on fire guy, you can't have three, four, five guys like that. You can't have, um, you know, Ken McClintock, who I love. Ken, I think, is closer to me. Uh, than than your dad and Gary, um, but he's a he's a nice blend in between. But you know, all of them there's an intensity, and all of them there's an authenticity of it. And you know, I think that goes for both sides of the equation, the coaches for sure. But it also you've got to be able to figure out the players. There are kids who um, who need you to yell at them, need you to kick them in the backside. There's kids who you need to put your arm around and tell them it's okay. Um, and then there's kids in between. And then there's and then there's kids who are, and I, I'll say it because I've said it to him, but he, and he smiled. You know, Matt Corn's one of the best athletes I've seen do anything. And he was a heck of a football player. Um, started and played a lot as a freshman and, and holds a ton of records, I think, because he basically played for four years and got good playing time it took me a while to figure him out. He just, he knew what he could do. He knew how to work. He worked hard. Nobody it wasn't, they didn't work hard, but he didn't have that. Um, and I don't, he didn't have that intensity. And I don't mean that as a knock because I'll, I'll take 11 Matt Corns every, every day of the week. Uh, but then you had other guys and they, they were teammates. You had a kid like Matt Roth. Matt Roth needed you to get in his ear and to chew on him. And there were times he needed you to chew on him and tell him he had to do a better job. And there were other times that you had to just go up to him and smack him on the backside and say, you just did what you were supposed to do. Um, but he needed that guy in his ear. Matt Corn did not need that guy in his ear. And the, you know, the, that was a heck of a, you know, Mr. Inside, Mr. Outside combination for a couple of years with those two, you know, and I've had, the the good fortune of just being around so many different types of kids, but so many good kids on, on so many levels. I remember, uh, you know, your brother Scott's senior year, 
get back to Columbus Academy. Um, I'll tell, tell two Columbus Academy stories. We lose that state championship game. And the next time we played him was 91, uh, his junior year. Okay. So, so yeah, because we, to- yeah, we had a string of 91, 92, yeah. 93, 94, 95 against them after yeah. the state championship in 87. So these stories are back to back years. We go down to Columbus in 91. Yep. In 91. And every single one of us on the coaching staff knew what had happened in, in the state championship game. I was the only one who was not coaching in that game, but I was playing. And um, there was an intensity among the coaching staff that was a little bit different than most. It, it was a U.S. week type of intensity. Uh, and we went down there and we won the game. And um, I don't know if I've ever seen Al McCracken happier, uh, but it was it, it was as close to a state championship celebration as I can imagine having not had that uh, just how excited we were with that. And I, I, I glossed over my freshman year a little bit. You know, you had Al McCracken and Frank Brandt were my coaches. And I mentioned Frank, you know, coached before as the varsity guy was on the phone for years with your dad, had his two boys there and just a, such a great guy. Uh, and then Al, who really, it's interesting because there's more people who think of him as, as the voice of the Hawks. Uh, Jim Bresnicki called the games when I play. And uh, Mr. Brez was, a, was an icon in and of himself. But whether, whether you call uh, Al McCracken Mr. Hawk in football because he was the announcer or because he's logged more hours than any of us, or because, you know, he, he did the stats all those years or whatever. I mean, I, I don't think of that school and that sport without thinking of Al uh, just outstanding. And again, I remember his reaction and he and I jumping around hugging each other um, as we were, you know, as we beat Columbus Academy and like, I didn't want to get in the car and go home. I just wanted to stay on that field. Uh, well, so, I, I spoke, ahead. I spoke with James Hardiman and he was talking about both the 91 and the 92 games against Academy. And he said mm-hmm. it was probably unfair for their team because they did not have the motivation that our team was putting into it. So it wasn't just sort of this, um, sort of hidden fire or hidden, uh, back of the memory, 87 lost to them in the championship, but it was coming out to the point where uh, James and his classmates and then the uh, senior group above them that 91 year where they were making it their mission to get that little bit of payback from that state championship loss when they were in the fan in the stands down in Columbus as um, you know, just kind of getting into middle school. Well, and, and son, you know, living through it and, and your brother living through it. And, uh, um, Oh, I forget what Nolan Hecht's dad's name was. Roger. He, Roger had really put together that, that junior class back in orange, maybe one of the first groups that played a lot of youth football together. And I know other pieces got added on over the years, but, you know, they had grown up watching, you know, and I don't know, I, I, I don't know that I've ever had this conversation with you, with your brother, Scott, and like you and I have, and I'm, I'm probably making you a little bit older than you really are. I remember watching Eric Hamilton at Penn State, knowing he went to the same school that I did. Eric was a year ahead of my brother. My brother didn't play football, but, you know, that was this guy that was like, holy cow, a guy from my school can play at Penn State. And then I didn't recognize what OJ playing meant and was and whatever else, you know, because he was next to me because I was carpooling with him to school. You know, he, I was sitting in, in uh, business and accounting with, uh, with Dr. Banks with him, you know, it, it, uh, so that was, it, it was, it was different. Um, the uh, with that, but I recognize the guys behind me who 
were old enough to understand football and be engaged, but not old enough to be part of that, the, the, the hero worship, for lack of, lack of a better expression. And then you know that loss. And like you said, I mean, I don't know what your folks would have done had we won in Ohio State that Friday night. Uh, and if you would have, you know, would we have been doing, you know, uh, snow angels in the in the confetti on the field, uh, you know, what have you? Who knows what that would have, uh, what that would have looked like. But it, 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 we missed it. We didn't get to do it. And then, like I said, seeing seeing Al jumping up and down and jumping up and down with him, and uh, and then the next year, and it is interesting because the next year and, and James Hardiman's comments are neat. Um, they come up to our place and it was a much closer game. And, uh, 21, 14, Anthony cow decided we weren't going to lose that game is, is how I would couch it. I would, I'd be interested to know what Anthony's take is. And I, I want to have this conversation now with James and, and, and those guys, we kept giving the ball to Anthony and it didn't matter if we blocked or if we didn't, he was going to get four or five yards on a bad carry and 10 yards on a good carry. And we just ground out that clock and just ground them down in that game. And I think they clearly did come up here trying to get revenge from the year because they saw, I mean, we were acting like we won the world. We won the state championship on their field and they came up to our place to try to, to try to undo it. And, and they took over that game as a running back. Yeah, he did. Uh, they came up that year in 92 and they were a top three team in the state coming to Gates Mills that uh, that afternoon. Like I said, that was a 21-14 victory for uh, for the good guys. On offense, Cowsett was a man on a mission. He was not brought down by a single defender mo- most of the afternoon and uh, defensively just big play after big play against a team that was very, very skilled and very talented and uh, definitely one of the more memorable games from that 92 season. Yeah. They had, a, they had an outstanding quarterback. It seemed like every single year they had a great fullback. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I remember coming from the soccer fields going toward the, the, the field house a drive where I don't think anybody butting Anthony touched the ball and, and there was no question that we were going to move the ball with him. I, I, you know, I was not on the phones on the offense, but if anything other than get the ball to Anthony was being sad, shame on those guys uh, and uh, they got it done. And it, you know, that really there was a two year run, those back to back years, the, the, talent on the defense and, and how well they played. Um, the year we won in Columbus, and, and your memory is better than me on this, but I think I'm correct that it's, it had to be that year because, because of some of the other players. We played U.S. at our place. Uh, now director of football operations for the Texans, Nick Casario was the quarterback. And... Um, you know, we had our typical offensive game plan that was going to put us where we needed to be. Uh, and then defensively, Moses was very aggressive. We changed things up. We we disguised our coverages because, you know, <laughs> Nick's making decisions for an NFL team right now. He was, he was pretty smart there as a QB. Uh, and uh, we disguised stuff. And during the first half, they couldn't do anything. And then in the second half, we sort of, did almost a little bit of a switch back and he couldn't adjust uh, to what we were doing. And I remember, you know, I remember Clint Bradley just bringing the wood to a couple of receivers on plays. And, um, you know, that game was over way before it should have been. Cause I remember coming back from that horrible scaffold coming down from there early because the game was so well in hand to be able to be part of what was going down on down on the sideline. Again, just to, you know, I, I, your brother's senior class is one of my, my favorite ones to talk about uh, because the history of that group that kept getting added on to and added on to and the uniqueness of that group. You got a coach's son 
who's uh, the ambivalent quarterback um, and the ambivalent leader uh, with a tremendous running back with Anthony Cowsett. You know, James Hardiman, another um, James Hardiman, another um, just tremendous athlete who was was fun to be around and generally in a good mood about stuff. Uh, then you've got a, a Nolan Hecht who might be the slowest great receiver in the history of receivers who called himself Rocket because he loved Rocket Ishmael, but really should have called himself that as the ultimate irony, you know, calling the fat guy tiny. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm faster than Nolan and I always have been, but boy, did he have some soft hands and would catch anything that he should. And then Billy Mann, one number off from, from Nolan, who just could flat run, but couldn't catch the ball to save his life, but was a, a really outstanding defensive back. And then, you know, 140-pound right guard Matt Krug, who had an intensity beyond intensity, matched only by the 135-pound left guard James Isanic. Uh, and then, you know, add in a... Um, you know, Bob Mallett, a gifted athlete who bookends on defense with Cowsett, except that Cowsett's such a great athlete that Mallett doesn't even look as good an athlete as he is. And then, and then the other pieces sort of behind them, um, uh, you know, Garth Robbins, who was an oddball kid, but was that guy, you'd put him out there and, and junior and senior year, you found out he's, he's going to be okay. And you're going to be able to give Cowsett a couple series off. And this kid's going to, going to do what he needs to do and help you be successful. And, you know, even, uh, you know, Winston Stromberg, their senior year at U.S., um, you know, Winston was not anybody's idea of a great athlete. Um, nice kid, hard worker. And the U.S. had a kid who went on to, a, I think, all-American career, John Carroll. Uh, Chris Anderson, a really good football player. Uh, I should talk him up because I called him out by name and I'm going to sort of make fun of him here. Uh, Winston came rushing the punter and put Chris Anderson's backside into the punter's foot and, and blocked a punt. And, you know, of all the guys in that senior class, if I said which one got a blocked punt, uh, senior year against the U.S., Winston would not be the name that came up. And, you know, and I haven't even talked about, you know, Clint Bradley, who just, I, I believe is a, he's a lifer. He's a testament to two superhuman beings. His parents work hard and send this kid to, to, to Hawken. He is dedicated and hardworking and just, uh, again, a super kid now coaching the track at the school and the subject of my all-time favorite John Tottenham photograph, uh, <laughs> I know I'm switching sports, but is there is there a better photograph to sort of sum up the nope. the the rivalry, the the crumbled kid from U.S. on the mat and and Clint with you know less body fat than Sylvester Stallone in the Rambo movies standing there over him with. Uh, you know, again, Pat Palumbo calmly in the in the corner. Me a little bit too fired up next to him, and your dad just simply clapping the clapping the win. And you know, it's that that group of guys from year to year to year is it's that kind of fun stuff. And that's you know that that's part of what brings you back and why you keep coaching and why you're like, boy, there's a lot of time and I'm taking away time from other things. But every year there's that other guy, you know, coming down the, 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 the pike a couple of years later, you know, here's a, here's a kid who's saying this, or there's a, a another kid who gets dropped into quarterback and he breaks his finger and he looks at his dad and says, Hey, I'm going to go out there. Can you snap it to me in a shotgun, even though I can't use my thumb and I'm talking about you. I mean, again, it's that kind of stuff where every year there's somebody there and it gets you going. I think you were the only one, uh, at that, uh, at the field that day that thought I could take that snap. I, for, <laughs> I, th I thought I could. And I remember sort of being under center on the sideline, trying to prove I could take a snap and just hit the hand and went straight down to the ground. And we're like, all right, let's try a shotgun snap that we don't have. Yeah. 
you know, we were ahead of our time, Dan. We, we wanted to go with the pistol way before anybody asked. <laughs> right. Oh man, John, we're gonna we're gonna go here to a two minute quick fire uh, question and answer segment here. But um, sure, this has been this has been a great uh, a great highlight of stories from a long period of time that you have dedicated to our program. 30 just over 30 years um and the stories i think uh the last uh handful of hours has showed that your span for the program is is lengthy uh your passion for the program is unquestioned and um you have had many different roles with the program that has been it's been fantastic to be able to hear some of these stories ones that i have known and ones that have gone into a little more depth today and to tend to and to listen to them so uh this has been great we're gonna go two minute drill here i'm gonna put two minutes on my phone here like i said and uh, we will get going all right question one here we go uh what play from your senior year offensive playbook could you still diagram uh, I think more more of them than I should admit to, but uh, I would I would say the belly counter. I belly, love counter. belly counter. All right. Any significance to your jersey number? Um, fifty six, not sixty six. Yeah. No. I know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I would say that uh, you know, look look at who was wearing fifty six around the time that I was playing. You got you know Lawrence Taylor and Chip Banks for the Browns and sure. what have you. That. I would have I would have probably grabbed 57 because I was a Clay Matthews guy, mm-hmm. but uh, we didn't have all the numbers available. So uh, 56 was probably the next best thing. What makes good fudge? You know, you can't be can't be too grainy with the sugar. Sometimes the sugar was a little too grainy. Uh, I a like gritty. it a little bit moist. <laughs> yeah, I don't like the grit. I like it a little bit. Uh, you know, a little more chewy, less gritty. Sure. Um, what tradition was your favorite? I think the songs. Can you name a song from your senior year game tape? Uh, I, I can name a couple, including one that uh, the head coach suggested to those who made the game tape should be removed from it. <laughs> um <laughs> What are you closest to these days? Your 40 yard time, your 800 time or your bench? I'm going to go with my 800. I think I could beat my 800 time. Oh, come on. Um, I did four miles this morning. I got to look mean and lean for this. There you go. I was going to do pushups, but I decided not to wear short sleeve shirts. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, biggest hit given. Um. The biggest hit given, I saw Len Spacek drop his blocking dummy and have the it's the only time I've seen OJ McDuffie take a good hit. It was in practice, it was a heck of a hit, a little bit of a cheap shot because OJ didn't think it was coming, and a lot of discussion afterwards among the players and then the coaching staff letting us know that we weren't doing that. All right. Well, you got that one in just in the nick of time. You took it as you took it as biggest hit given that you've seen. I was wondering if it was biggest hit that you've given. I was waiting for you to answer that one. Uh, I don't know. But that's okay. We're out of two minutes. I got a good one in college. I got a good college one. Yeah, I'm out of my two minutes. I got a good college one. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, on the other team's sideline, I'll go over time. On the other team's sideline, on a uh, fourth down play around midfield, and they threw a swing pass to the running back who had been drawn all game and, and gotten his licks in all game. And I hit him right near the first down marker, right in front of his head coach. He felt like he gave me the better part of the hit. We got up, and he was a good half yard short. He said something, and I went, pretty sure it's first down for us, and turned around and went back to the sideline. And I heard his coach just say, shut up and get on the sideline, and I felt that much better. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Um, John Christie, um, class of 89, thank you for taking this trip down to the river. As we've discussed, um, down to the river is a way for us to tell our stories 
the tangs were the stories from that game that finished that night and uh, down to the river for this podcast is about all the memories and all the stories, uh, the highs and the lows, the relationships built. You talked a lot uh, throughout this pod about your teammates and everyone knowing their role and how important it was. And it was about the concept of the team and not me or the individual. And that is why, your time on the varsity, um, those three years, that that team had the success it did because of obviously talent, but it was because of that relationship building and that concept of everyone knowing their part for the greater good of everyone. And I appreciate you sharing those stories and taking this trip down to the river. Yeah, yeah. Dan, thanks. It's been a fun couple hours and I'm, I'm ready to do it again for next season. Thanks, John. Thanks for spending time with us today. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend and spread the word. And until the next episode, like my dad always says, good night, Irene.